You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 25th of January, 2023. And uh, with your with your usual Wednesday uh, Wednesday morning presenters, uh, myself, Shajil Ahmad, and also uh, Muhammad Atar alongside with me as well. Asalaamu Alaikum, how are you doing this morning? Wa Alaikum Asalaam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Dear listeners, uh, as always, you know, uh, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, I have been presented with another opportunity to present here on the Wednesday morning breakfast show. Always yes. a pleasure to present with you, Brother Shajil. And, uh, you know, really looking forward to it. We have a really, you know, likewise, likewise. Uh, long and interesting lineup of guests for you guys today with some interesting topics that we'll be discussing after, obviously, the first segment where we discuss the news and the weather. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So just to give a little bit, uh, you know, a little flavor of what we're going to be sp- uh, talking about, speaking about uh, in today's show. Um, after the after the news uh, roundup, a roundup of uh, the news, we're going to be st- we're going to be going into our main segments. And uh, firstly, we're going to be talking about something which is quite. Um, I mean, it is it is something which is quite needed at the moment. Maybe a couple of years ago, maybe a few decades ago, we wouldn't even realized that uh, maybe, you know, we are going to go towards this direction. But single-use cutlery and plates to be banned in the uh, in, or in England. So um, it is interesting. It is going to be interesting. Uh, we want your thoughts as well. What do you think about this? Do you think that it should be banned, single-use cutlery? And also plates, do you think they should be banned? Um, give us a call zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. It is the number for you to for you to call and voice your opinion on the Voice of Islam Breakfast Show right now as well. Um, th- after that, towards the latter part of the show, we're going to be talking about our second topic, which is can the UK's race to space take <coughs> uh, take off? Um, which is also quite interesting and exciting stuff as well. Uh, so if you want to voice your opinion, if you want to um, tell us what you think about this as well, if you, you know, the pros and cons or, or you know, the, 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 the view of the public, do give us a call and we would love to hear from you as well. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. Um, so these are our main topics. Um, go grab yourself a, a cup of coffee or uh, some breakfast and we'll be back right after a a short uh, a short interval a short break referring to the protector one who is a guardian al-muhaymin is the one who stands as a witness for his chosen ones and the one who provides security this benevolent attribute of god is most visible through his protection of his loved ones the entire life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a testament to the attribute of Al-Muhaymin. During the Battle of Uhud, there came a time where the enemy had surrounded the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Muslims, exhausted, had scattered about the field, leaving the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, alone and exposed. But it was Al-Muhaymin who stood in his defense. 
It was he who caused the Muslims to assemble and form a ring around the Prophet, peace be upon him. He gave them the strength to fight until they themselves were pierced by the swords of the enemy. He was the reason the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymi, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life was safeguarded through divine protection. One of the most devoted followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may God be pleased with him, wrote that God himself was the guardian of the promised Messiah. He was the reason why Talha, may God be pleased with him, could absorb arrow after arrow. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of the many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life, was safeguarded through divine protection. The promised Messiah on whom be peace was skilled in swimming and horseback riding. On one occasion, he was swimming and nearly drowned he was saved by an older man whom he had never seen prior to this incident and never saw again. On another instance, he was riding a horse that became uncontrollable, so much so that it crashed into a tree. This proved to be fatal for the horse, but the promised Messiah on whom be peace was miraculously saved without any injury. These are not mere coincidences, nor good luck. This is the work of Al-Muhaymin. How else would the promised Messiah on whom be peace be saved by a man who vanished into thin air? Or be saved in an accident that killed a mighty animal? The same protection that was afforded to the Holy Prophet Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah on whom be peace, is granted to all believers. Al-Muhaymin is the one who protects against the severe and subtle attacks of Satan. He guards against accidental and intentional injury. He stands witness for the truthful and provides security to those without a voice. It is the way of God to protect His believers, to become benefactors of the protection of Al-Muhaymin. It is incumbent to accept the Imam of the time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Now, um, before we get into our main, uh, main topics, uh, the main sort of subjects that we're going to be talking about, 
Um, what's happening? What's happening around the world? A uh, quick roundup of the news right now, uh, as well. Before we actually do that, as well, um, the weather. What's the? Well, you know, what's the? What's the weather? What's the weather looking like? Well, be, you know, a week ago, a week ago, it was going. It was you know that whole week was mainly in minus. It was minus one, two, three, even up to minus five. In some places, minus uh, you know minus eight and nine, uh, the northern areas as well. Um, and then, and then, I mean, th- thankfully, thankfully for for me, um, it didn't uh, it didn't snow hmm. uh, because you know when it snows, it, that's the only nice part when it's yeah, snowing yeah. in the beginning. But then after, after you know when it yeah. becomes sludge and it just stays for days and it's just a hindrance, too slippery, and a isn't it? It's yeah. just in the way. That's the thing, and the thing, the, the the problem is, is that when it when it turns into that little, you know, the the, the slippery ice, hmm. um, it it can stay there for a very long time if the temperatures are are you know are minus if they're freezing literally, yeah, and that is exactly what happened in in December as well because it snowed and then the temperature was uh, was quite was quite low. Uh, and then you know the snow, the 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 slippery snow as well. It stayed mm. there for for you know, for the majority part of the part of the week and a bit you know more or less uh, as well, depending on where you are, where you were living, um, or where you are living uh, mm. in the UK. At the moment in in London, uh, the temperature has gone, um, the overall temperature. For the day, yeah, uh, it has it has increased slightly as well, but it, there's al- there's always a, a, fluctu- a fluctuation up and down that of uh, of six degrees, seven degrees, eight degrees, and uh, is predicting or the weather forecast is predicting eight and nine degrees uh, towards the end of the week as well, in the beginning of the next next week, uh, also. Mm. So you know it is up and down. Hopefully, you know the weather starts getting starts getting a little bit a uh, little bit more mild. Uh, not too cold, not too freezing as well, because we we all know that we're all facing uh, energy bill crisis. Um, you know, to, to warm up your home is costing so much more. Some people, you know, I was speaking to uh, some people as well. They say that whatever their bill was, you know, previously, it has gone up three hundred pounds, four hundred pounds. You know, drastically. So you know, hopefully, hopefully it does uh, sort of ease out as well, and we don't uh, we don't get that, you know, we don't feel that cold as well to turn on the heating as well. But still, what's needed is needed. Um, so that's the that's the weather. Anything that's happening in the news that has uh, you know caught your eye? Um, has, uh, um, so you know, obviously, everyone is aware of the ongoing strikes, and you know, we have mm. been speaking about it as well yeah. quite a few times. Um, but you know, um, people are not seeing the bigger picture. They're not realizing that what these um, what it's leading to, what mm. every everywhere you know the the what the media is portraying, what mm. the politicians are portraying that the NHS you know they're saying, um, you know it's like hashtag NHS crisis. They're mm. trying to you know send us down a hole yeah. where um, they're basically saying that there is essentially no way out, and then you know suddenly out of thin air in my opinion what's going to happen is uh the miracle um of privatization is going to come through mm. you know and it's just it's going to it's going to supposedly be a way out trying to save us yeah. but you know it's going to lead us down another another wrong path 
privatization is never successful mm. never has been i don't think it ever will be right because all the money just goes to the shareholders and it's never good for the people mm. as we can see with the, what's happening with the royal mail as well you know there's been a lot of discussions uh, in like parliament as well about royal mail they they in question of how you know they so many people are losing their jobs mm. and unqualified people are you know being hired to do the job as well um and uh, on this basis you know the the ceo is being questioned as well of uh, how he's been negligent and how he's you know just running the the um, entire royal mail down mm. which is would be essentially the case if the nhs became privatized as well it would just you know benefit the rich the rich will carry on getting richer yeah. and the poor will keep on getting worse Mm. That's just what the situation That's is. That's what the hand. situation is at hand. But you know, if we if we look at if we look at the CEOs of these, um, you know, uh, you know of these, mm. uh, of, you know, the, if you say the private sector, or if it's privatized as well, then the CEOs of them as well. Yeah. Um, how much how much money they make? Mm. Um, is you know, it's quite. We were, I think we were discussing it, you know, the other day as well. How much how much they make as well, and then when they get their bonuses, mm. um, which is tax free. uh h- how much that is as well compared to the average worker the average you know key worker as well mm. you say you know the nurse or maybe the doctors as well some doctors make it obviously a bit more yeah um because of their profession as well but you know if we are going towards this route that we have to that we have to make that we have to fill up the hole mm. because there is a hole mm. uh, in the workforce mm. we do need the people to come in to and 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 work but if we're having to resort to um hiring unqualified mm. uh, personnel mm. then that's not that's not a route that we want to take is it mm. that's not a route we want to take and a lot of politicians a lot of um economists are also mm. saying that you know the UK the economy in the UK right now Mm. is you know is next to nothing at the moment exactly exactly and we we're, we're actually being forced <coughs> we're being forced to 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 accept people coming in mm. joining the workforce whatever workforce may be and then getting the economy back running back you know back up and and running uh, running as well mm. but you know with with all of this they also they always there always is a risk of uh, exploitation as mm. well there's always a risk of uh, um cheap labor Mm. and uh, and then you know not paying enough not mm. paying um you know enough for for people to actually stand up on their own feet mm. people having to resort to two jobs maybe three yeah. jobs and you know just being completely you know just washed away mm. um with you know going to work um working in whatever job that they have and then paying the bills taking care of their families Mm. It's a it's a difficult situation for 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 most mm. uh, I think. You know I've I've spoken about this quite a few times as well that um let me let me just give you an example for example if you or I yeah. made like a thousand pounds extra right somehow. Yeah. Uh and we didn't disclose it mm. right. They they would be how to pay right? Like we we would have to be answerable for it if we mm. didn't disclose it to say the tax revenue people right. But um uh So the government, right? Yeah. They've wasted 37 billion on uh, track and trace. Track and trace, yeah. And they've wasted about 10 billion on um, PPE, PPE that was burnt. That, yeah. Because it it was not useful. Mm. They couldn't use it. It wasn't usable. Why are they not answerable for this? 
Where mm. did that money go? Yeah. That's the that's the big question, isn't it? And it's not just it's not just thousands or hundreds <clears> and thousands <throat> or mm. even millions, it's billions. It's billions. It's billions of pounds that yeah. was taxpayers money mm. that was used in these things and then just because it flopped mm. just because it didn't work especially mm. the track and trace mm. i mean come on i mean we you know, you know there's, there's so many there, there's so many skeletons and a lot of politicians mm. and mp's and they're slowly coming out like there's some scandal going on about Nadeem Zahavi's well about avoiding tax mm. and um, currently Boris Johnson he's he's yeah. out there he's just chilling right now he's yeah. he's not doing his mp job that he's you know he's been made an mp Mm. He's not doing his job properly and he's just like, in my opinion, he's not doing his job properly and he's just out there going to different countries, doing speeches and stuff. I read in an article he's made a million pounds just from doing speeches. Mm. Like yeah, abroad. yeah, yeah. I saw that as well. Yeah, I saw that as well. And he's still claiming his 84,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, because he is the pri- he was the prime minister as well, mm. but then obviously now he's, yeah. a, now he's a member of parliament mm. um, doing that, doing that. So it's, you know... It, when we when you think about even this chicanery, this tomfoolery, this is you know I, I cannot handle it. Yeah. It's just, but you know it, I think about it so much. I think about it all the time. Yeah, and it's there's there's no action. Nothing's been done. The voice of the people yeah. is not being heard. I mean that's what that's what that's that's the thing, isn't it? When mm. the whole foundation is based on something, mm. we, we talk. In Western countries, you know, the developed countries, mm. inverted commas, mm. they say we are so developed and the way forward is democracy. Mm. Democracy, democracy, democracy. Mm. Oh, when something happens, this is an infringement to our rights mm. in terms of democracy and whatever, what have you. But when it comes to the voice of the people, mm. when it comes to the voice of, you know, what the public want, what the general public want, um, then it's like, then it's like, you know, you're not allowed to raise your, you know, raise your voice. You're not allowed mm. to say anything. Mm. You're not allowed to go on strikes. Um, because if you do, you know you're, you're going to get punished. Mm. You're going to, you know, you're going to get forced to to actually cope with it, deal mm. with it. Mm. Um, but then you know we see the richer getting richer, the poorer getting poorer, and that gap is getting more widespread than uh, than than ever. Mm. And you know we we're talking about different members of parliaments, or even Rishi Sunak. Mm. Uh, I think he was. Um, he was just recently, recently caught, uh, you know, not wearing a seatbelt. Seat <laughs> seat like. The thing is, when you know the whole party gate thing happened yeah. as well. Yeah. The thing is, once uh, R- Rishi Sunak himself is just a person, mm-hmm. right? Once you're put under the mantle of the prime minister, all eyes are on you. All eyes on you. Okay. Yeah. You do not have room to slip up. That's the thing. You may be a human being, mm. but as a prime minister, mm. your station is you know it's a high station it's, a, it's supposed to be a very high station mm. you're not allowed to slip up that's the thing isn't it that's the that's the only thing and uh with you know with different you know mm. people who are in authority mm. sometimes they they think they seem as if they they don't really mm. um care about their mm. about their about their image what because, they say what they do because these are little silly mistakes he, uh, because he's apologized for it, right? Hmm. So these are supposedly it's just a little mistake to him. He's yeah. just apologized. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I know I've done I've done wrong. Uh, people, please forgive me." Hmm. But it shouldn't have happened in the first place. It shouldn't have happened. These the laws place. are set in the country by the government. Hmm. You, you being the head of the government, the prime minister, hmm. you yourself are not following. If you're not wearing a seatbelt, why do you expect other people to wear a seatbelt? And that's the. It, it doesn't matter if you've been fined or if you, if you've said sorry. Yeah. That's you the should thing. lead by example. People are, you know, a lot of people um, raise this objection as well, mm. um, you know, about authority, mm. right? That when the common man mm. does something, 
then that person has to you know pay the pay a pay a huge fine pay a huge bill if a you know if a you know if, when the if a noble person exactly, or a higher exactly. up person does this nothing when the lockdown happened yeah uh if so, there, there were cases where people were put in jail yeah. people were fined thousands of pounds yeah. for you know breaking lockdown for breaking the lockdown rules yeah and look at Boris yeah. Johnson he's still having chilling. a party this and that he's you know, still the, chilling yeah is a member of I mean he was yeah. a prime minister that, that whole police investigation that took months yeah right and what happened he got fined a little bit yeah you think that's going to affect him you think that's going to that's that's the thing isn't it and it's good that you mentioned that as well it was going on for months mm. right mm. if somebody if it happens to a common man people, you get one little picture that you did this that's exactly. it you can't people even do anything people weren't allowed to go see their loved ones who were dying in hospital yeah During people lockdown. weren't allowed to go to their go to their parents' house, exactly. their old age parents' exactly. house, or visit them. I know, I know. Party is like we need to let it go. It happened a long time ago. But the thing is, the principle. How many times will we yeah, let exactly, it go? Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> every time a new thing pops up, yeah. you're going to rem- remember everything else as well, hmm. because it's essentially in your file. Essentially, essentially. But that's the thing, isn't it? The the upper echelon, they mm. always have this uh, this. get out of jail free card mm. isn't it mm. it's always it's it's easy it's easy yeah. for them as well but for the common man that's mm. the person that suffers there's this uh, there was this uh, i was watching this video there was this company of like a credit card company in mm. uh, the US right and the ceo he started this thing that uh, he's going to cut his own pay to pay each individual uh, employee at his company 70,000 pound salary a year mm dollars 70,000 dollars sorry apologies yeah. 70,000 a year right. and uh, because of this everyone you know everyone uh, ridiculed him everyone in Bernie Sanders um and like like a lot of other people a lot of other big people they ridiculed him saying oh this is socialism it's not going to succeed mm. what are you doing he doesn't have any idea what he's doing but that company has flourished mm. everyone he's like 80% of my employees they have their like uh they bought their own houses and they're paying off their mortgages they're debt free 80% of his employees are like debt free mm. and they have a very good standard of living they're enjoying life yeah. and their work performance is you know up very up that's the thing and the company's succeeding yeah and then after like you know when he did succeed everyone's just giving props to him yeah i mean that's the thing isn't it when when people actually care about their exactly. employees mm. and they they actually care about their you know their workforce mm. and they want them to actually you know be you know be happy mm. there's so many things that they can actually do the inequality of wealth and the distribution of it is just like the the gap keeps on mm. becoming it's just getting bigger just and getting bigger, bigger and bigger, bigger. And bigger. getting bigger and bigger that's the problem <laughs> the middle class is sort of diminishing away so so the uh, royal mail has been privatized right the the, the base salary yeah. of the ceo of royal mail is like 540,000 pounds a year mm. and last year he got he 140,000 pound bonus bonus which is tax free isn't it which is tax free which is, ta- which yeah. is tax free <laughs> yeah that's the uh, i mean come on mm. if you're looking at the normal postman how mm. much is how much is that person getting that's the thing isn't it So yeah, I mean obviously, obviously we're not saying nurses, that everyone has the same nurses thing. are having to pay for parking at their hospital. Yeah. Just imagine that. Yeah, just imagine that. And you know parking in hospital is quite expensive it's quite as well. Expensive. It's not it's not just it's not it's not mm. quite cheap. Mm. But that's the thing, we're not saying that you know there should be you know a person who's a manager mm. or a CEO mm. should be getting the same no. money as uh you know as the you know as, as the common worker, mm. right? as you know whatever but obviously there is that 
Mm. There, you know, there is that up and down. The salary, mm. obviously, the higher up you go, the, the the more salary you earn as well. But mm. the thing is, is that if the people who are working at the bottom mm. of the, you know, of the of the pyramid, mm. if they are not, you know, being provided the basic necessities, mm. then you, you really think they're going to be doing the job properly? They're just doing it for money. They're not doing it because they want to do it. Mm. And any slip up, that's it. They they're gonna be you know they're gonna be gone, or they can they can maybe they can collapse. Maybe mm. they will find another job as well. Mm. So this is this is what people at the higher up need to need to do. They need to look after. They need to look after their subordinates. They need to look after their their workers as well, because they essentially they are the ones who are actually properly running the the company as well, isn't it? Yeah. Without them, without the workforce, how can you expect you know how can how can you expect that whole company to run for you yeah. know for for example look at look at any supermarket find the ceo the 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 manager is doing their job that's fine mm. but the people who are stacking the shelves people who are you know at the counter mm. they they're the ones who are literally running the show, mm. running the running the supermarket isn't it so without the workforce without the workforce it's uh, it puts us all into a difficult position as well especially mm. with the with the not just the energy crisis but the cost of living how much that's uh, been affected yeah. uh, as well. So that's a quick roundup of the of the news. Um, uh, after a very very short break, we're going to be coming back and then we'll start our main topic, uh, or our first topic for this morning's show: single-use cutlery and plates to be banned in England. We'll be back after after a short break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Now, what we're talking about here, as you as you would know as well, um, that the government has uh, confirmed that uh, that uh, s- single-use plastic cutlery, such as plates and polystyrene trays, uh, will be banned in uh, in England as well, but it's not clear. It's it's not clear when when the ban will come into effect. But it follows similar uh, similar moves by Scotland and also Wales uh, as well. Um, the Environment Secretary uh, said that uh, the the move would help protect the environment for future generations. I mean, no doubt it will definitely affect uh, have a positive effect. On the future generations, however, campaigners have called for a wider range plastic reduction strategy, because let's face let's face it, plastic sometimes you know plastic is is quite needed as well in in in, in some areas, packaging and various other things as well. Um, so there has been I mean, sort of a backlash, but also campaigners they they're saying there needs to be another sort of strategy um, to to actually reduce this. Um, to reduce this uh, plastic uh, plastic use as well, so it is quite important that we that we you know that we are voicing the opinion as well and voicing this uh, on air. So I'm uh, delighted to say that we do have online with us our first guest of the morning for this topic, Steve Hind. Um, I apologise if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly. Who is the policy and media manager at City to See? Steve has been with City to See for nearly four years now. Before that, he worked in Parliament for a member of the European Parliament. 
and as the head of the mayor's office in Bristol City Council. Steve has also worked abroad, including in Kampala, in Uganda, in Kalkilia, uh, in the occupied Palestinian territories and in Brussels. Good morning, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Steve. Good morning and thanks for having me and you pronounced my name perfectly. Okay, thank you very much. Um, could you please tell our listeners what are the aims of your organisation, City to Sea? Yeah, so City to Sea is a environmental not-for-profit that's uh, based in Bristol in the UK. Uh, we campaign to stop plastic pollution at source. So what we mean by that is that we're not doing um, what some organisations do, which is things like beach cleans and litter picks, sort of trying to clean up the problem once it's been created. But we're trying to do campaigns and change policy that stops that mess from being created in the first place. So we've been going since 2015 and we run some award-winning campaigns, including uh, the refill, which, um, um, refill campaign, which allows you to download the refill app that tells you where you can do zero-waste shopping or you can refill water bottles for free without having to buy single-use bottles. Um, but we also do policy work as well, which is uh, hopefully what we're here to talk a little bit about this morning. Um, so we've been campaigning for the last two years, for example, for this single-use plastic ban. Hmm. We got 118,000 people to sign our petition, and we got over 50,000 of our supporters, along with 38 degrees, uh, to respond to the DEFRA consultation as well on this. So hmm. we're really pleased to see it come about. But as you say, we have also got our concerns as well. Hmm. We were discussing earlier here in the studio as well that you know that when the plastic straw ban came into play, we we used to think as well that you know what about all the other plastic cutlery that still gets used? It's kind of pointless just to ban a straw. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important to talk about where this list came from, because I think for some of your listeners, listeners it might seem slightly random. Like, why have mm. you chosen straws and, and, and cutlery and not other bits of plastic, you know, like mm. bottles or mm. the coffee cups or whatever? Mm. And the reason that this list came about is everything on this list has had to have two criteria. One is that they're some of the most polluting single-use plastics, okay? So they're the plastics that we most commonly find in our beaches, on mm. our, in our rivers, <laughs> in our oceans. So they're, 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 they're the things that we find most often in our natural environment. The second reason, though, is that uh, it actually came from the European Commission. They did a piece of work where they tried to work out what plastics that are really harmful could they ban hmm. that would have the most minimum impact on consumers and business. And so this list was drawn up because there are really easy alternatives to them. So take single-use plastic cutlery, for example. Well, hmm. Um, at home, if you get a delivery dropped off at home or anything like that, yeah. everybody's got cutlery in their drawer, right, that you can just use and, uh, and then wash up afterwards. So mm. that's not an issue. For takeaways, um, either, I don't know, if you have a packet of chips, you can mm. just eat them with your fingers. Or if you really need single-use cutlery, then like wooden cutlery or bamboo cutlery is completely normal as well. Mm. So, so in, in this sense, it has really minimum impact on business or consumers but with single-use cutlery, we're talking at the moment about 4.25 billion pieces of single-use cutlery used in England alone every year. Mm. So it's a huge problem. And because of the way we use it with takeaways, you know, if you imagine if you're out and about, you grab a takeaway, at best you're going to pop it into an overflowing bin. Mm. But at worst, people chuck them out of car windows, drop them in the street. And then the first time it rains, that then gets washed into our waterways and down our sewers or into our rivers. And that's why they're particularly polluting because of the way we use them with takeaways. And that's why we're really welcoming this ban. Hmm. No, it's, it's, it's great work. And, you know, uh, what is um, like its impact, impact um, of plastic pollution and why right now is the ban being considered? 
So the impact of plastic pollution is really big and it's growing and our understanding of it is really growing. Hmm. So I think one of the big problems with, I think when people think of plastic pollution, they think of what they can see. So when we're driving along the road or walking along the street, we imagine like caught in the bushes, uh, like plastic bottles or, or, or uh, you know, like little little bits of plastic broken up that we can, that we can physically see. But the problem with plastic pollution goes so much further than that because it, the real danger is in what we can't see. So plastic by its nature it will break up into smaller and smaller uh, plastics until it breaks up into what we call microplastics mm. uh, and then that will wash into our soil and into into um, into our waterways and it will also become airborne as well so the terrifying thing about this is it's in the air we breathe it's in the water we drink and mm. it's in the food that we eat as well so one study recently found that uh, the average brit will be eating a credit card's worth of plastic every single week because of that's how uh, how much uh, oh, of wow. these microplastics are finding its way into our food system. Uh, we found microplastics at the top of Mount Everest, at the bottom of the very deepest oceans, mm. uh, in, in ice cores in Antarctica and the Arctic. It's literally everywhere. It's in our blood, you know. And mm. this is and this is where we where I think where if people aren't worried about the problem of litter and the issue of animals um, getting entangled in plastic, all the things that people, I think, traditionally understood about plastic pollution. Hmm. I hope that everybody is worried about having having plastics pumping around your bloodstream. Hmm. Uh, if you're pregnant, uh, there, there are studies that show that it can be passed through the placenta to unborn children. Hmm. Like for me, this is terrifying, and it's Definitely. not the future we want. And as I say, the only way we're going to reduce this is by, is I, I use the analogy that we're being flooded at the moment with single-use plastics. And the only way to stop that flood is mm. to turn the taps off. We can't just keep trying to mop up the mess. We need to be turning the taps off at source. Mm, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Steve, with this uh, new um, proposed uh, plan by the government to, you know, to, to ban single-use cutlery and plates, um, plates how significant do you think that the that the impact would actually be on plastic pollution? Yeah, so I think two, two, two answers to that question can be simultaneously true. So on the first sense, everything that I said earlier about these being some of the most polluting single-use plastics is important. So by removing them from the market, I think we will have an impact in removing some of the uh, most polluting single-use plastics, and that's why we were broadly welcoming this move by government. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think it's self-evident to say that it doesn't go far enough. You know, like the plastic pollution is so much bigger than just these few individual items. Increasingly, plastics are dominating every aspect of our life. Mm. Uh, it's hard to escape them. So, for me, what 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 I'm interested in, I'm not interested in in banning an individual item. Um, as, as a policy in of itself. What I'm interested in is an overarching strategy to reduce uh, plastics and single-use plastics as a whole um, because this, this, is, uh, this is ultimately what we're trying to reduce. We're trying to reduce uh, the amount of plastic that ends up as pollution. So we need to be massively reducing the total package of plastic so that, we, that so it leaves us with the amount that we can keep in a circular economy that we can recycle. At the moment, our entire waste system is completely flooded and overwhelmed with the amount of plastic that we use. Mm. So, um, I mean, take, for example, Coca-Cola, which is the largest plastic polluter in the world. They produce 200,000 mm. single-use plastic bottles every single minute. Oh, oh wow. wow. Every minute. 
I mean, that's extraordinary, oh, right? Yeah. Like, it's completely <laughs> literally, extraordinary. Literally. Um, and, and, so, um, and, and so there are solutions out there, okay? So we talk quite a lot about moving away from single use to, to towards refill and reuse. So this would be packaging that you can refill and reuse instead of it just being used once. And Coca-Cola, for example, have got a reasonably ambitious plan to grow that part of their business, which, again, we welcome, like we think is important. But that only makes sense. It only makes sense to increase the amount of refill and reuse packaging if, at the same time, you're reducing the amount of single-use packaging you, you, you put out onto the market. Because mm. that is like, it's like by keeping your eye on the goal, right? You know, the thing we want to reduce is, is single-use packaging that's causing this plastic pollution, that's causing the problem that we're trying to address. And that's, yeah, that's, that's where we have to move to. Um, a, a huge reduction in single-use plastic yeah. uh, combined with what we know to be some of the solutions. And that includes banning some of the worst items. It includes incentivizing refill and re, reuse. Uh, and it also includes, um, <coughs> so just last, this last week, government also announced they're going to progress with a thing that they call deposit return schemes. So this would be where they put a small economic value on a bit of packaging. So if you go and buy, for example, a bottle of Coca-Cola in the shop, mm. um, it will have an extra, say, 20p charge on it. Um, and that will be a deposit that you then get back if you bring it back to the supermarket with you. Mm. And this is a policy has just shown that it massively increases the rate of uh, recycling and it massively increases, um, uh, decreases the amount of littering that happens as well. So... We've, we're starting to get put together a, a framework of policies that we think will have a really big impact, but it just needs to be happening quicker and it needs to be going further. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think these are different things that we can actually uh, implement as well. I mean, the wider public, what they can do as well. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thank you so much and good luck with the you know with your, with your campaigning as well. And hopefully we do um, see some positive uh, results uh, as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was uh, that was Steve, and very interesting mm. uh, speaking to him as well. Most very definitely. Uh, without further ado, we do have uh, our next guest on the line with us, Andrew uh, Pankhurst, uh, who is a communications lead at Zero Waste Scotland, Scotland's circular economy expert organisation that exists to lead Scotland to use products and resources responsibly. Good morning, peace be upon you, and uh, welcome to the Breakfast Show, Andrew. Yes, good morning. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, please, could you tell us a, a little bit more about what Zero Waste Scotland is? Yeah, Zero Waste Scotland is a, an organisation. We work on behalf of the Scottish Government a lot of the time. Um, and it's really all about encouraging people to move towards what we call a more circular economy. Which I, I know you referenced in the description there, which, which, which is basically all about making materials last as long as possible hmm. so the sort of basic like household level that everybody understands that's kind of about getting more people recycling and that kind of thing yeah. but it's also about getting encouraging people to use less in the first hmm. place and hmm. to, to, to make things last longer um, and to keep materials in use for as long as possible so that kind of thing uh, how has the single-use plastics uh, ban been implemented in scotland and has it been successful yeah, well, so the the ban came in in summer um, just last year, so in 2022. Hmm. Um, and it sort of was applied to a, a range of single-use plastic items. It was the ones that actually most commonly are found on beaches and things yeah. like that. So it was a definite kind of like um, effort to kind of stop this stuff ending up on our beaches hmm. and in our natural environment. So it, it came in um, after being kind of, 
you know, uh, they're sort of trailed for quite a long time. So it was announced in the previous November, and then we were sort of trying to make sure from November all the way through to the summer that we we could let as many people as possible know mm. that this was coming. Um, and yeah, I think I think the implementation of it has been successful, but there, there were a few challenges. Like, so for example, I think to the general public, yeah, it's been very positive. Like we knew from um, doing kind of like YouGov surveys and that kind of thing that the public were right behind this. You know, mm. like after people had seen shows like Blue Planet and had started to see the effects that single-use plastic can have when it ends up in the wrong place, yeah. there was a lot of public support for doing something about it. So that was fine. I think the challenges were it's making sure that all of the, the business owners know. Mm. And I think it's challenging with like small businesses as well because – Really, if you want the band to be properly effective, you need to reach every single one of those. And then yeah. they also need to understand specifically what 14 different items are banned and in what circumstances and when it's coming in. It's quite a lot of information to get out. It's quite complex information and it's a lot of people to get it to mm. in a day and age where people get their news from all sorts of different places. So it's just, it's actually quite challenging these days to blanket tell everybody about something. So I think that was the biggest challenge. And we did have a few businesses coming back to us afterwards saying, oh, we didn't know about this. And, Mm. you know, I've got all this stuff in stock. What am I supposed to do with it? So I think that's the biggest challenge is just making sure everybody's aware of what's happening, you know? Mm. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. Zero Waste Scotland. What, what's uh, uh, what, what are you campaigning uh, about to, to to reduce this um, uh, plastic uh, plastic waste? Well, our main sort of campaign around this, and our main message is um, there's been a big focus on single-use plastics, um, and actually, our kind of message is around. Well, actually, we need to move away from single-use items that are made of anything, really, because anything that is single-use. It's just inherently wasteful. Mm. Like if you make a sort of, you know, an, an item and it's only intended to be used once, that's a, that's a waste of resources. And in fact, you know, you can make straws out of paper, but I mean, you're still cutting trees down to make those and they still can't be recycled and they still break down in landfill and create methane, which contributes to global warming. So it's like mm. actually just moving to single-use items made of other stuff isn't necessarily better for the environment. So I kind of our main message, whilst we've spotted the introduction of the single-use plastics ban, is at the same time as that, we're also saying to people, but actually where you can, let's try and move to um, reusable options mm. or maybe even no, no item whatsoever. We, we've just done a series of um, pilot projects in Edinburgh where the, the, the aim of it really was to look at what reusable options we could use instead of single-use options. But actually, one of the key learnings of it was a lot of the items that people just habitually give away as single-use items, Mm. you could actually get rid of altogether, and customers don't really notice. So, for example, if you put um, straws behind Mm. the counter, so they're not available for people to just take, but they can ask for one if they want one, Mm. Um, the amount of straws people use goes down by over 90%. So it sort of shows you well people don't really really need them do they so there's some interesting learnings like that about actually how much of this stuff that we're giving away all the time is like just free single-use items just take one you know just take as many as you want do we even really need those at all and actually for the the, the items that are necessary let's try and move to reusable ones interesting mm. very very interesting as well you know there are some people who actually you know bring bring in their own 
yeah, bring in their own straws as well. Um, the metal straws. The metal straws mm. as well, so, so they don't have to ask for one. And they can obviously just wash that when they get home and reuse it as well. Um, well yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. I mean, that's exactly that kind of thing we're talking about. We, we worked with a few takeaway places, like takeaway food places. Right. Um, and some of them had some success in using like reusable takeaway containers. Mm. I think for people that have like a really loyal customer base, you know, there's that, there's kind of like 20, 30 customers that just come in every week. Yeah. It really works because they're just constantly coming in and coming back. So it's not really a problem for them to wash and return stuff and, you know, get the deposit back That's or whatever. True. And they're, quite often people are quite happy to do that as well because they know it's cutting down on waste. Absolutely. So I think, you know, this sort of on-the-go food culture, there's probably always going to be an element of single use in it because you're going to get passing customers that are never going to come back. But actually, it's about looking about how much of that you can substitute for reusable options. And if that's 30% or 40%, that's that's still brilliant, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's still it's still a, it's still a positive uh, positive result. Um, Andrew, could you, could you tell us a little bit about some alternatives? I mean, you've spoken about this as well, but uh, just uh, tell us a little bit more uh, for the benefit of our listeners. Yeah, in terms of reusable alternatives. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you mentioned metal straws already. One of the cocktail places that we worked with in... Edinburgh, they, mm. they still felt like straws were part of the, the customer experience. So they went for you know, metal reusable straws. Mm. Um, but as I also said, like what, one of the things we found in the more kind of on-the-go like food and drink businesses is if you just put straws behind the counter, so you still yeah. do still have them for, for customers if they want one, mm. but you use 90% fewer because people just don't really ask for one. So that, that was interesting. And the same was true of... Um, stirrers as well, you know, drink stirrers. Yeah. Um, they found that actually, if you just if you just put those behind the counter and leave people to ask for them, hardly anyone does, and they, you know, they're quite happy to just put the sugar in and yeah. and, and that that'd be that. Be Another that. interesting <laughs> one um, was um, which people don't really think about or talk about as much, but was um, sauce sachets. So you know the little sachets that uh, tomato ketchup, mm. yeah, 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 that kind of thing comes in, like. We noticed that quite a lot of the businesses we were working with were giving those out. So we just suggested that they used to uh, switch to reusable, refillable bottles. You know, so you just kind of squirt some out instead. Mm. And that reduced sachet use by like 99%, you know, almost completely eradicated it. And that's a lot of like unrecyclable material as well. Like mm. it's single use plastic. It's also something you can't do anything can't with do it. Anything about that, so that was quite a good one. And another interesting one was on, um, it's not it's not single-use plastic, but as I said, we were looking at stuff, really single-use items made of anything, was napkins. So we noticed that actually if you put napkins in a kind of central place, people go, oh, I'm, I might spill something on myself. I'll, I'll take some napkins in case that happens. Mm. But actually, you know, 90% of the time they don't. And so those napkins just get thrown away and never used. Whereas if you put napkins on the tables... People will only take one if they need it. So if they spill something on it themselves, they'll, they'll take a napkin. But if they don't, they won't. They'll leave them in the little dispenser. So that actually reduced napkin use by 64% in the wow. places that we worked with. And it's just about thinking, well, how do we make sure people only take one if they really want one? Hmm. You know, so rather than just in case. So that, that was quite an interesting learning as well. Interesting. So it's yeah. a lot of little psychological tricks that, you know, that can be used for the consumer. Yeah, really. It's mm. about saying, well, um, let's let's try and get rid of any instance where you take one and you're not sure if you're going to use it. Because I've, yeah. I've, I've seen this in cafes where, I've, 
you know, if you order a coffee, mm. and it, I guess they're trying to save time in terms of having to ask you if you take sugar or whatever, but you order a coffee and it comes with two individually wrapped sachets of sugar mm. on the side. Mm. And it's like, well, that covers everybody, doesn't it? It covers yeah. people that take no sugars, one sugar, and two sugars. Yeah. And you're like, well, it does, but like now I've got two sachets of sugar that I don't want, you know. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. And and they're probably not going to take back and use again because it's been on the customer's plate or whatever. So that's probably the ultimate example of people just kind of going, well, this this has got everybody covered. You're like, well, it has, but that's really wasteful. That's two, it's two sachets of sugar per mm. customer. That you know, how many people take sugar? I don't even know, but like it's probably not that much more than. 50% that take mm. two sugars, you know, Definitely. so it's quite wasteful. So it's like, it's like an extension of that idea of saying, let's not do that. Yeah. Um, so if you take that all the way of... to its logical conclusion, it, mm. it's just a sugar dispenser mm. on the table. And, um, you know, they take it if they need one. So, yeah, yeah. That, that was probably the, um, the most, um, most interesting examples that we've come across, I think. Mm. Well, Andrew, that I mean is I mean, thank you for you know joining us as well uh, and, and this morning's show and sharing your expertise and uh, you know what, what you guys are campaigning about as well. And I think it's very positive. Thank you so much uh, for 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 joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Take Absolutely. care. Now, join us after after the news, where we will continue this uh, this topic a little bit further as well. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners. So we have been discussing our first segment of the morning, single-use cutlery and plates to be bad in England. Um, we have spoken to two you know, guests earlier and I'm delighted to say that we do have our third guest on the line for us to, for this topic, Anna Diski, who is a plastics campaigner at Greenpeace UK, having previously worked on ocean and climate issues. Good morning, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, just to begin with, could you please tell us uh, about Greenpeace and its aims? Yeah, of course. Um, so Greenpeace is an international environmental campaigning organisation. So we work across the globe for a greener, healthier and more peaceful planet uh, for all of us and, and for future generations. So our, came, our campaigns focus on the fight against climate change, protecting nature at sea and on land um, and stopping plastic pollution, which mm. is yeah, what I'm looking forward to talking to you about. Yeah. So how would banning, you know, single-use plastic help to protect the environment and why is this important? Well, first, I think it's important to say that the UK is a huge contributor to the world's plastic crisis. Mm. Uh, you know, we're the second biggest producer of plastic waste per person in the world, mm. second just to the USA. So yeah. a huge amount of plastic being produced is used only once. Um, mm. And I think everyone can see we're producing more plastic than we can deal with. It's really everywhere, isn't it? So yeah. If you think we've all been for a walk in the park, by the river or at the beach and seen some form of single-use plastic dumped there. Mm. Um, but this stuff remains in the environment for hundreds of years and causes real issues for wildlife and leaches chemicals into our environment that can be really harmful for human health uh, too. So the problem is there's no environmentally friendly way to dispose of plastic. It's either put into landfill or incinerated in this country. 
uh, or it entered the environment, as I just mentioned. Mm. Only a really, really small amount of plastic is recycled. Yeah. Um, and thousands of tons are actually exported overseas for other countries to deal with, primarily Turkey, uh, causing really environmental and human health issues there as well. So, yeah, it's really important we mm. prioritise cutting the amount of plastic Definitely. produced in the first place. Um, and we need like a huge reduction in single-use plastic and really to move away from this throwaway society and start to prioritise reuse wherever we can. Hmm. So, and, yeah. uh, sorry, will this ban be enough to tackle the problem of plastic pollution? Look, it's a step in the right direction, um, hmm. but it's a really small step. You know, banning items sort of one by one, it feels like nibbling around the edges of what is a giant problem. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the UK is the second biggest producer of plastic waste per person in the world. So mm. removing a really small selection of single-use items is not going to touch the sides. Mm. Um, and also these items have already been banned in Scotland, in Wales and in the EU. Yeah. England's already behind on this. You know, we yeah. need to be thinking much bigger, more strategically to seriously cut the amount of plastic being produced in the first place and sort of turn off the plastic tap if we're going to like effectively tackle the pollution problem. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what what else can the government uh, do to make sure or to ensure that that, that we reduce the plastic uh, pollution problem as well? And obviously, what what can the general public do? Yeah, so I think um, you know the public really want action on plastic, right? There's mm. so much public concern. Um, but the problem's only getting worse, and the UK government has a responsibility to fix it. So. Instead of this piecemeal approach, I think the government needs to roll out a serious strategy to cut how much plastic is being produced. So that means a 50% reduction in single-use plastic, um, and that needs to happen as soon as possible. You know, in France, they've actually banned plastic packaging for most types of fruits and vegetables, which is one of the main things that UK households are throwing away. Um, and it also means setting a reuse target that will kind of incentivize supermarkets to stop using disposable plastic and offer reuse and refill options for their customers instead. Um, you know, members of the public can aim to reuse and refill where possible, but I think if they want to get involved, it's about lobbying their MPs to support these strong reduction targets and, and really push the government to go further. Absolutely, absolutely. And I thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and getting your insight in regards to yeah. this as well. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. So all all of our guests today mm. um, have spoken about have spoken about this as well at at some length and uh, you know reiterated what we need to do as uh, as the general public, um, as individuals as well and collectively, or what we can do together mm. to help this uh, to help this issue at hand. Uh, as well, and it is very very much important that we that we do tackle uh, that we do tackle this. Um, single-use plastic. I mean, you know, if you if this is a, you just use it once and then you dispose of it. That I mean, how many how many how many people do that? And like Anna said as well, we as you know as the UK, we're the second um, most uh, you know hmm. nation that actually produces single-use plastic. Per Obviously, person. America, yeah, per person after yeah. after America. And look how big America is, mm. and look how small we are compared to them mm. in size as well. But obviously, um, it, it it is a huge thing at hand as well that we need to that we need to actually talk talk about as well. Definitely. Now, in a <coughs> in a in a virtual meeting with <coughs> uh, with female members, female students from uh, from Sweden, 
uh, on the 27th of November 2021. His Holiness, as Mr. Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, he is the fifth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He emphasized how an Ahmadi Muslim uh, can ensure the events of the uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community are environmentally friendly. He stated that generally, as much as possible, we should use recyclable products. As the as the events of the Ahmadi Muslim community, there is a usual a usually a, a, a team dedicated to ensure food hygiene as well. One of their responsibilities is to ensure that the environment and the facilities should be kept as clean as uh, and clean and tidy as possible, and they should clear rubbish in an appropriate and environment friendly way. This shows the importance of uh, recyclable recyclable products and how we should implement them uh, in a, in, a, in our daily lives as well. This also ensures that the environment is less likely to be impacted. This is because recyclable recyclable converts um, the, converts the things we throw away uh, into new items uh, as well. So it's uh, it's to make sure that none of the energy and raw materials used to make them go to waste as well. It also prevents the air and the ground pollution as well. There are different things that we can actually introduce as well, such as what as what our what our guests uh, also spoke about as well. Um sometimes, you know, people people use their own people use their own cutlery, people use their own um forks and uh, knives and even straws as well. People use their own straws. People have their own cups which they can which they can reuse as well. All of these things are very much in accordance in accordance to the teachings of Islam as well. Trying our best to to actually reduce waste. Also, in the first place, being neat and tidy, um, put everything in its appropriate place. If something needs to go into the bin, then dispose of it uh, properly. Hmm. But also, if something can be recycled, then definitely recycle that product as well. Make sure that the waste is as less as uh, as less as possible, as well. So. Because you know, because it is going up, um, I'm mean, talking about the talking about the waste. How much is going up, and how much we are, you know, what 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 we're doing is maybe. I mean, there are small things that we're doing here and there, such as you know, countries such as Germany. Hmm. And our guest, our previous guest, one of our guests spoke about this as well. That they, you know, any plastic bottle, if you return it back to the supermarket, they get some money back as well. Yeah. Because they've recycled that, mm. because they're you know reusing that as well. Yeah. So there are different things which different countries are actually doing. Um, collectively, we need to look at all the good things which are you know which are in place and trying our best to actually tackle this problem uh, as well. Like like our guest also said that it's not something that we need to we need to that we need to fix as a as you know the the solution needs to be there definitely, but we need to turn off the tap of this waste as well. Uh, because it's so, you know in some places it is getting out of hand also mm. um his holiness has also spoken about um climate change as a whole as well which is uh, pretty much linked uh, to this uh, to this topic uh, let's listen to a short audio clip which will talk about this and then we will go into a, a short break um right after that short break we will come back and go in go into our next topic as well which is can the uk's race to space Take off, but before that, as I mentioned, let's listen to this short audio clip. My question is: How important is it for Ahmadi Muslims to fight climate change? Very important. You should try to avoid using your car while traveling for a short distance. Either walk to that place or use bicycle. Hmm? 
right? Yes. Cycling is good for your health as well. Secondly, every Ahmadi should make it a point that he should plant two trees every year. This is how you can fight climate change. If you are here, if we have 30,000 Ahmadis here in the UK or more, then every year we plant 60,000 trees. If not possible here, then those who travel to other countries, they can plant trees there. So in this way, we can help control climate change. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Now, the, uh, what we're talking about in this part uh, in this part of the show is that the first ever orbital rocket launch from Britain um, was actually was uh, actually set to blast. Of on uh, Monday the 9th of January as well, marking the first, or you know, the start of the UK's race to space as well. Um, so, I mean, talking about, I mean, it's the first time that it happened from British soil. So it is quite remarkable. It is quite historic as well. And that's uh, that's something that we, that we are going to be uh, talking about in this part, of the, you know, in this part of the show. So, you know, I'm delighted to say that we do have online with us our first guest of the morning for this segment, Matt Archer, who is the Commercial Space Director at the UK Space Agency, which incorporates his role as Program Director for the UK Spaceflight Program. He is responsible for delivering HMG's ambition for creating a safe and sustainable commercial market for small satellite launches in the UK by 2030, including enabling the first launch from Europe in 2022. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Matt. Good morning. Uh, just to begin with, could you please tell us uh, what the UK Space Agency is? Yeah, of course. So the UK Space Agency is an arm's length kind of body of a central government department, uh, the business department. So in essence, our role is to support government investment and research and development grants in the space sector hmm. to effectively catalyze private sector investment create kind of jobs, new technologies, kind of world-leading science, and kind of inspiring the next generation. Um, so effectively, all things space, um, except the sort of military side, sit with the UK Space Agency. Hmm. Uh, I'm just going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. I just want to ask, you know, a personal question. It's related yep. uh, to space as well. You know, those conspiracy theorists that say that the moon landing was faked and, you know, the flag was moving and there's no, because um, there's no uh, error in a vacuum in, in space. Yep. So um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, not, not something I've given a lot of thought to. Mm. Um, it was a massive achievement by um, kind of the Americans and, and others on the ground to make sure that was successful. So ultimately, I'm sure there are and will continue to be various theories about what may or may not have happened. But 
Um, certainly when you when you put a flag into the ground or the moon, it still has kinetic energy, so it will mm. move. Mm. Um, so that would explain it moving. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, and uh, the next question, uh, what was the purpose of the rocket launch on 9th of January 2023? Yeah, so the, the first launch for the UK ever from UK soil hmm. was part of a, and still is part of a program that we're responsible for delivering, which is establishing the ability to launch from the UK. So it was a project designed to create, um, if you like, the conditions that make launch possible at Spaceport Cornwall, um, so Newquay Airport, um, as well as kind of setting in place all the relevant regulatory frameworks and kind of support the business need to make a launch market a long-term success. Hmm. So for us, it was more about creating the environment that says actually this can happen again and again. So whilst it was really exciting to have the first launch a really historic moment yeah actually so much of the success happened before that day in terms of enabling that to take place hmm. so so could you could you tell us to the, about the journey that led to that uh, because you know this was the first space launch of uk yeah so the program's been in existence for around five years hmm. um, and as, as you'd expect of any project of this size it went through early stages of you know, policy development, working with ministers in government and effectively agreeing how we wanted to create a market and recognising that what we're not doing is building rockets the same size <coughs> as you would see from Cape Canaveral yeah. or other launch sites in, in Florida. Hmm. Um, but actually what we're trying to do is capture a market that is looking to put small satellites into space and they want to do it much faster hmm. than you can do it on a large launch vehicle. Um, so that's what we're trying to create is something that isn't supported by HMG with a lot of money, but actually is a commercially viable industry that creates high tech jobs in what is normally a remote region of the UK, whether that be Cornwall, whether it be Sutherland in Scotland or the Shetland Islands. Yeah. Um, so again, all of those places traditionally don't have big communities of jobs and high tech jobs, and we're supporting that investment. Yeah, mm-hmm. Matt, what's the, is this a is this a stepping stone for for future plans as well? And uh, what is the future for for UK space travel? Yeah, so it, it is very much so. It was our first Pathfinder launch, and um, so my program is responsible for delivering three. So the next two will be from Scotland as kind of traditional sort of vertical rockets that people have seen um, probably lots of times before. Um, so those are the kind of next things that we are focusing on. Um, but equally, we're interested in the wider launch market and how do we create success. So over the next few years, mm. whilst kind of this is a pathfinder and you know, it will be a little while until we see the next launch, actually what we're going to start to see is a real growth so that by the end of this decade, we'll probably be having a launch kind of every month or every other month. Um, <clears throat> so for me, it's an exciting journey that we're on. Um, and yeah, we'll support the wider space sector in, in knowing that they can access that service on their doorstep. And we know that we're already seeing interest from European partners and those further afield to say, hey, I can launch this from the UK. How do I make sure that I've booked up, uh, if you like, a launch vehicle to do that? Absolutely. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Matt, thank you so much for joining us uh, this uh, this morning and speaking to us. Thank you. Thank you. So it is uh, exciting mm, stuff as well. Definitely. Um, that, you know, 
we are tra- uh, you know traveling into space uh, space travel and uh, fu- the future fl- future plans as well and mm. uh, there are a lot of uh, you know different countries i mean obviously america being mm. you can i mean it's safe to say that the leading nation yeah. in terms of uh, space uh, travel as well but obviously you know there are other countries which are you know which 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 are doing this as well you know we have korea mm. we have russia mm. uh, you know the uk India. is doing this as well india yeah. as well so you know, if you you know if you look into space um or you know if you just look uh or, or onto earth right mm. all the satellites which are orbiting the earth you you may not realize but there's so many different satellites there's mm. so many different satellites and you don't even uh, you can't even actually imagine that i was looking at you know sort of yeah. uh, a, not a picture a, mm. a video isn't it mm. and uh, i couldn't I I didn't know that there were so yeah. many satellites orbiting so orbiting many. the earth mm. but there are isn't it mm. um and to put more you, mm. know, you know the satellites up there as well it's um I'm not I'm not sure if that's uh, harmful for the environment or not maybe it's not um I don't know. think so because it's outside Space isn't is it so vast right it's outside as well <laughs> no, that's yeah. what I'm saying it's outside isn't it mm. of the atmosphere as well as in the mm. earth's atmosphere mm. so I don't think it would have an effect on that anyway but uh, but still we can still uh, at night time um, we can still see those satellites as well um, you know sometimes we think that they're stars mm. but uh, they're actually they're actually just satellites orbiting orbiting the earth as well interesting interesting um, stuff so yeah definitely it is uh, mm. interesting uh, interesting stuff as well mm. I mean if you have any um um you know any any anything that you would like to share with uh with us as well the number to call in is 0208687 so it is as we are saying very interesting stuff and um uh it is something which uh, is something to look forward to Most uh, uh, as well um the first um yeah. ever or- or- orbital rocket launch from britain is uh, you know as we were speaking about monday 9th january mm. it happened uh and uh, you know this um you will deliver satellites into our orbit it's the first time you know it's happening from british first, soil yeah so yes it's it's really interesting um so melissa thorpe is in charge of uh, spaceport cornwall she said uh, we are the guinea pigs it is the first time any of us have done this so it's been quite a learning experience mm. I mean, uh, what, what, you know, the question that you asked um, Matt as well. It mm. is quite interesting, also, mm. about the about the about the moon landing. Yeah, a lot of people, mm. a lot of people have uh, different uh, different opinions about this mm. as well. A lot of people say, um, a lot of people believe it. I mean, no doubt, mm. a lot of a lot of people do believe in it. Mm. But there are a lot of there are some people who think that you know, if it hasn't happened, I mean, if it happened. you know 50 odd years ago yeah. or maybe maybe longer than that as well why isn't it why hasn't it happened why have again? they never gone why, back why haven't they not gone because, back because uh, in my opinion like they they've done it once they don't they don't need to go back it's like there's always a what, need why in my opinion what, there's always a the need what's the reason it costs so much mm. there's no need to go back in my opinion How much, but how we, much will, would we will discuss that further yeah, we'll discuss that uh, further, yeah. uh, as we do have our you know last guest of the morning for this topic on uh, with us online we have um, Debbie Strang who's a graduate in geography from a, um, and a former Royal Air Force officer she trained as a supply and logistics officer but served the latter part of her career as an operations officer at RAF um Lewismouth in Morayshire Scotland 
Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, just to begin with, could you tell us uh, what is the Shetland Space Centre and how was it started and what are its goals? Yes, certainly. Be light, delighted to. So, um, the Shetland Space Centre, or it's now being known as Saks Aboard um, Spaceport, is going to be the first vertical launch facility in the UK. Um, for a very long time, you know, the UK Space Centre is developing and um, building satellites, um, mm. but we've not been able to launch from the UK, as you, as you probably know. So this is almost the last piece um, in the jigsaw. So it was set up um, about five years ago, We've been working since then on all the background work, the licensing and planning permission to build this vertical launch spaceport. And that's on a site right on the most northerly inhabited island in Shetland. So it's closer to Norway than it yeah. is mainland Scotland. Hmm. Um, and because it's so far north and so remote, that's where you know safety and security means that we've got a much better a much better handle on those aspects, which is so important when um, being involved in the space industry. Yeah. There is nothing further north than than where we are, so you know a, a huge airspace to launch into. Mm. Definitely, and in, in regards to the launch that took place on you know Monday night uh, on on the ninth of January. Uh, how did uh, you know the Shetland Space Centre contribute to it, and uh, what are your thoughts on its outcome? Um, I think we need to congratulate Cornwall um, and the UK. Actually, what it's proved is that the UK now has the regulations in place to be able to launch from you know UK soil, and that's really important. Um, you know, the Civil Aviation Authority are the regulators, and this is a highly regulated industry. So we've proved that the legislation and all the regulations are in place for that. Hmm. Um, and Cornwall did a great job. You know, everything, they did everything within their control and as expected yeah. um, from the first UK licensed spaceport. Um, it didn't go ahead. And I'm I'm hoping that, you know, people generally are seeing so much about space on the news and on programmes like yourself and, and feeling the excitement, they're also beginning to understand the complexities about space in every sector and how this is just isn't easy to do and sometimes things go wrong. So, you know, it's the start, they launch successfully, the regulations are there. By working together, you know, this isn't a competition, you know, I've, I've learnt um, in the space industry, coming to it fairly new, that people do want to work together because we'll all benefit if mm. you know we can progress and learn from each other. So Definitely. we're in regular contact with Cornwall. Um, we're good friends with them, so we'll learn from them, and in time, you know, they'll learn from us. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Debbie, what is the importance of uh, space exploration, though? Uh, and why should more people, or why do you think that most, more people should be encouraged uh, into entering this uh, absolutely fascinating field? Um, I think mainly for everyone to really understand, other than the excitement of seeing a launch leave vertically from the ground, which mm. would give anybody a real buzz, to be honest, um, it's the importance of satellites in our lives, 
Um, and we often hear the quote that people are affected one way or another by satellites and the information we're able to download, you know, more than 20 times by 10 o'clock in the morning, whether it's your, obviously, your mobile phone, GPS, the timers on your, you know, electricity supply, you know, the cereal that you're eating in the morning, the farmers are getting that improved data to help them to be more productive. There's a whole host of reasons why day to day we need the information coming down um, from satellites. Um, and what we really want to see is um, more people, more young people entering space and not thinking that, you know, it's just for those that have, you know, studied astrophysics or, you know, aerospace engineering. There is a role for anybody sort of in all sorts of areas to become involved in this really exciting sector. Mm. And in particular, um, girls, we've got um, an education day focused on STEM and really encouraging girls to get involved in what's going on um, in Shetland um, on Saturday the 4th. And we'll, uh, um, we'll have a lot of that virtually. We're really trying to make an effort to get beyond Shetland to say people in the UK, anybody, there is a role for them, whatever they do. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, what, what's the future? What's the future for Sex Force Spaceport? So we could, last last year we achieved a huge amount. Um, we had our planning permission for the site, um, and because it was an old um, World War Two site, to begin with, we had to do a lot of clearance and, and checking that. Um, from a historical point of view, that the site was clear. Um, and then we were able to begin the roads to the site um, improvement, but also to begin pouring the concrete for the launch pad. So our planning permission um, is for three launch pads. Mm. We now have one complete. A lot of concrete has been poured. Um, mm. And I hope people will maybe take a look at Saxevoid Spaceport um, Facebook page or linkages to see the construction of um, the launch stool for a German company. This is now a metal structure that's 12 meters high on our launch pad. So work is continuing all the time. Um, in, on island as well, we have engine tests. So the rocket companies that are building up to launch, French and German, are undertaking engine tests at the moment on the island. And we're hoping um, high import German company is looking to launch suborbitally, so not into orbit, um, but still pretty high, around about 50 kilometers height by the end of the year. That's what we're hoping that um, we will have one, hopefully more than one launches um, by the end of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is quite uh, quite interesting stuff and things to to look out for, isn't it? Um, uh, as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. You know, we, we've got a newsletter on our website that people can download if they want to understand what we're doing. You know, as well as um, all the effort on the site, we have ground stations to download data. Because of our geographical location, you know, satellite passes and we can download data, you know, 12, 14 times a day which, just because of our, our geographical location. So, um, we have some ground stations already working, but the but the newsletter will tell you also what we're doing on the education side of things and sustainability too. We're very aware, you know, that 
um, we can download data that will help us make better decisions and help others to make better decisions hmm. connected with climate change, which is so important. Um, but we ourselves as a company and as we're building the spaceport, we need to be aware of all the extra efforts to make sure there is no further environmental damage to our site. And we're doing our best, you know, towards net zero. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just to just to uh, end off there as well, Debbie, then uh, anything for, for our listeners who are maybe interested, um, they want to get involved, they want to come into this field as well. What, what can What can they do? I would just say um, now that there are some, you know, companies like ourselves, just get um, on our on our website and on our social media sites. Um, you'll find us everywhere. Understand what we're doing. Mm. Um, you know, look at those university courses, or or if they're already at university, you know, there are rocketry clubs quite often at a lot of the universities. But on a on a on a lesser scale, you know, there are always ways in without you know, degrees. Um, I'll just give you an example. Um, in our office, we've mm. taken on um, a trainee lawyer who mm. never, never imagined she would be as up to date with space law as she is. You know, these opportunities are opening up in all sorts of ways from art to social media to, um, you know, there's lots of different ways of getting involved. But take a look at our um, our website to see what we're doing and then see what's happening um, elsewhere. I think I think there's a lot for young people to, to get involved with and excited about. But we keep we always say, you know, space is for everybody. And recently we had um, a group of 60 um, pen, pensioners or people who'd retired at the spaceport understanding what we're doing. And the excitement for them is almost as much for the youngsters. So Spaces for everybody. Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, thank you, thank you for for that for that input as well, Debbie. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning. And uh, good luck and with you. your endeavors as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Um, so that was mm. uh, Debbie uh, Debbie Strang from, from Shetland uh, Space Center. Very interesting. Um, very encouraging as well for those youngsters, uh, not just youngsters, for anyone who's who's interested in mm. space travel. Um, interested in going to space as well, and uh, yeah, and I mean not just going into space, but also different things which are related uh, to that as well. Um, so you know, y- your big, um, you know, you think one hundred percent. No, no, I, <laughs> not I, I'm not saying one hundred percent. I'm just saying that you know, there's um, it's very likely that it did happen. But you know, you never know. It could you never know. It could be a conspiracy theory. The moon landing could have mm. been faked. I mean, uh, God knows best, isn't because, it? God knows best. Yeah. We weren't, obviously, we weren't mm. there. <laughs> we didn't but there, 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 there was more than but one still, mission. More than one mission? Yeah, as in to the moon, like crewed, with crewed men. Yeah. With with, crew, with like a crew. Yeah, okay. So, do you think all of them were fake or you think first time? No, we only know that the first one, isn't it? Mm. We, 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 that's, the, that's, the main, that's the main one that you yeah. know, everyone talks about as well. Apollo 11. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, mm. You know, the the the, the one that happened. Mm. Um, so, but but you know, obviously, obviously, it's something which. Uh, I mean, if it did happen, I'm not saying it did or it didn't. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying if it did happen, um, why hasn't it happened uh, again? But then, obviously, recently or you know, in the in the upcoming future, very near future, mm. 
it is something which uh, they are looking into uh, as well. Um, it is interesting that we, you know, with all of these different things, um, when we t- when we talk about advancements in in different aspects of uh, of knowledge, mm. we that that we that we gain, all of this should actually put us into perspective that how small we actually are. Mm. You know, if we look into space, Earth is literally nothing. Um, if you look at if you look at just our Milky Way, mm. where you know where um, if there's you know. If there's eight planets or nine planets, mm. you know, depending on if you want to call Pluto a planet or not, um, we're, we're we're very small. Mm. And if you look into space, our galaxy compared to other galaxies and to so many different galaxies, I mean, it, it puts us into this realization. And this was what God Almighty says as well that those mm. people who actually think about the creation of the heavens and the earth, yeah, um, you know, they then they actually come to realize their their creator. As well, and this is the main thing that we should actually gain from all of these different knowledges hmm. and and uh, different topics as well. Uh, let's listen to an audio clip um, of His Holiness, which will uh, which we will talk about uh, this uh, at some at some length as well. The Prophet Muhammad has stated that the continued study of physics, astronomy, and the sciences will always lead a righteous person towards God Almighty. The more they learn about God's creation and the world around them, the more they will appreciate the beauty of Allah, the Almighty through the wonders of the universe. Once a believer gains such, a, uh, such knowledge and insight, he or she is not just able to guide others about the latest scientific developments rather they will also be tooled with the armory or to prove to the world the existence of the of that one god who is the creator of all creation this is the symbol of a true believer and the means of their success and their path to attaining real honor and prestige in the world. It has, uh, it was in this way, reflecting upon the universe, that Professor Dr. Abdul Salam Sahib spent uh, his life and he used whatever insight he gained as evidence to prove the existence of God. Hence, all MD researchers or academics should continually keep in view the oneness of God Almighty before, during, and after conducting any research or study. They should seek to conduct their investigations with the firm intention of eliciting uh, evidence that will enable them to prove the existence of the one God to skeptic and disbelievers, uh, skeptics and disbelievers, and to refute those who claim that science and religion are irreconcilable. When they, they research in this way and seek the help of Allah, the Almighty, 
each step, no doubt he will assist them at every juncture and be their guiding light. As I said before, the research of a secular person is based on a purely worldly approach and they use their intellect for the sake of material progress. Their efforts can lead to scientific advancement, but the research of a believer has a far greater potential impact. Their research will not only lead to scientific progress and the development of modern technologies, but will also serve to offer proof of the existence of God Almighty. Therefore, Ahmadi Muslim researchers, especially those who pursue the sciences, should not only have the intention of enhancing the understanding of their chosen field, but should also maintain an everlasting resolve to find proofs of the existence, uh, existence of God. As I have said, this was how Dr. Abdusalam Sahib conducted his work and he attained phenomenal success as a result. Remember that the Prophet Sallallahu has said that people of true intellect and wisdom are those who never forget God Almighty and always remember Him. Thus, there are our scientists and researchers strive to excel in their academic pursuits. They must always safeguard their faith, fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty, and fulfill the demands laid upon them to search for additional evidence proving the existence of an all-powerful God. Zakallah uh, for for listening to that as well. That was His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad may Allah be his helper, um, telling us a little bit more uh, about this as well. Um, thank you to all of our guests who took time out and spoke to us today, and of course, um, thank you to the producers and the researchers uh, uh, as well who, who managed this show. Also, always a pleasure to to present with you, uh, Brother Atar and to the technical department as well in the technical studio. Akib Ahmed, thank you to him. Until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.